I don't think I've ever read on Memorial Day before. Usually they avoid holidays for scheduling these things. Um, but I'm thrilled to be back here. I, I um, love this place and the spirit of it and the opportunity it offers so many people to do the one thing that we all love best to do, which is our work. Um, so I'm going to start with a handful of published poems, and then I will move to poems uh, which will come from the next book, which is going to appear the very end of this summer. Um, so you'll get a preview. I've never yet given a reading entirely of only the next book. And as I was looking at tonight's poems, I was getting that sinking feeling of, how am I going to do this in September? It's like, you know, you're used to reading uh, the older work, and you're not that used to reading the newer. Um, but anyhow, I'm going to start with two that uh, I almost always do start readings with when I'm when I'm doing an arc of work, and especially in a place like this. Uh, this first one was written out of the awareness of what a terribly lucky life I get to lead as an artist. Um, you know, to be able to come to a place like this is such a privilege. To be able to do your work is such a privilege. But even the luck of having uh, mostly reliable electricity, the luck of not having to worry about procuring a pen, having access to books. And I'm acutely aware that there are people all over the world who do not have these things whose work we will probably never see and never hear of, and who are nonetheless probably doing great work, and the world is changed for its having been done. So that's, that's sort of what I was thinking about when, when this poem came. The poet. She is working now in a room not unlike this one, the one where I write or you read. Her table is covered with paper, the light of the lamp would be tempered by a shade where the bulb's single harshness might dissolve. But it is not. She has taken it off. Her poems, I will never know them, though they are the ones I most need. Even the alphabet she writes in, I cannot decipher. Her chair, let us imagine whether it is leather or canvas, vinyl or wicker. Let her have a chair, her shadeless lamp, the table. Let one or two she loves be in the next room. Let the door be closed, the sleeping ones healthy. Let her have time and silence, enough paper to make mistakes and go on. And this next one uh, is the oldest of my poems, the earliest that I keep a relationship with. Um, it's a poem of relationship. And I always used to say that I never knew whether I should call it a love poem or an end of love poem, because it's both those things. Uh, but one of the odd things about poems is they go on to have other fates. Uh, so so um, this one was used in 2007 as a poem of diplomacy, uh, made into a beautiful broadside and given out everywhere we went when I was traveling with a small group of writers through uh, various countries and territories in the Middle East. 
And I really don't know what the Syrian Minister of Education might have made of it, um, but it was kind of cool that it was being given that way. For what binds us? There are names for what binds us. Strong forces, weak forces. Look around, you can see them. The skin that forms in a half-empty cup, nails rusting into the places they join, joints dovetailed on their own weight. The way things stay so solidly wherever they've been set down. And gravity, scientists say, is weak. And see how the flesh grows back across a wound with a great vehemence, more strong than the simple, untested surface before. There's a name for it on horses when it comes back darker and raised. Proud flesh. As all flesh is proud of its wounds, wears them as honors given out after battle, small triumphs pinned to the chest. And when two people have loved each other, see how it is like a scar between their bodies, stronger, darker, and proud. How the black cord makes of them a single fabric that nothing can tear or mend. So some mention has been made um, that I was here when September 11th happened, and I thought I would, since this is Memorial Day, uh, read you the poem that I wrote immediately after that, a poem written, so it was right after, it was like, you know, within, within the day or two after, and all I wanted was for us not to end up in what we haven't, what we have ended up in, which is a war, you know, that has been going on now for eight years, or if you count it differently, a state of war that's been going on for 10 years. Um, and I just thought, you know, instantly, violence is not the answer to violence. I know everybody doesn't agree with me. I apologize to any of you who that might offend. It is simply my feeling. And so this was my immediate response. Can you hear me okay in the back? Do I need no speak louder? I, is there something that would jiggle this back into functionality? <laughs> That's all right. Just beat it up. Well, I didn't touch it when it turned off. Okay. We'll we'll try that. Okay. I'm back. Sorry. Mumble, mumble, mumble. Um, the dead do not want us dead. The dead do not want us dead. Such petty errors are left for the living. Nor do they want our mourning, no gift to them, not rage, not weeping. Return one of them, any one of them, to the earth and look. Such foolish skipping, such telling of bad jokes, such feasting. Even a cucumber, even a single anise seed, feasting. Um, this next one 
draws a bit from the world of Greek mythology, but do not fear you are actually better off if you can't think of the myth, because um, it's not that tightly tied to it. Um, it's a poem that I had stopped reading, and then, oddly, in a period of three or four months, a number of people came up to me and told me that something terrible had happened to them of one kind or another, and that they had read this poem. And I thought, oh, maybe I should start reading it again. So since, since that period, I have. Each moment, a white bull steps shining into the world. If the gods bring to you a strange and frightening creature, accept the gift as if it were one you had chosen. Say the accustomed prayers, oil the hooves well, caress the small ears with praise. Have the new halter of woven silver embedded with jewels, spare no expense, pay what is asked when a gift arrives from the sea. Treat it as you yourself would be treated, brought speechless and naked into the court of a king. And when the request finally comes, do not hesitate even an instant. Stroke the white throat, the heavy trembling dewlaps you've come to believe were yours, and plunge in the knife. Not once did you enter the pasture without pause, without yourself trembling. That you came to love it, that was the gift. Let the envious gods take back what they can. Uh, the title of this poem, uh, Da Capo, probably a term well familiar to all of you, but if anybody doesn't know it, it is an instruction that appears at the end of a piece of music telling you to go back and play it again from the start. Um, and I read this in gratitude for the amazing uh, uh, meals that we receive here. Da Capo. Take the used-up heart like a pebble and throw it far out. Soon there is nothing left. Soon the last ripple exhausts itself in the weeds. Returning home, slice carrots, onions, celery. Glaze them in oil before adding the lentils, water, and herbs. Then the roasted chestnuts, a little pepper, the salt. Finish with goat cheese and parsley eat. You may do this, I tell you. It is permitted. Begin again the story of your life. Uh, this last of the already published poems that I will, or already published in book form poems that I'll read you, is again one that has had some interesting fates. So I wrote it in a time, a mix of both personal despair and also despair over the state of uh, what we are doing with the planet and to the planet that we are part of. Um, so thinking about um, environmental devastation. Um, and since then, I have uh, seen it used in 
hospices uh, as a peace poem, as an elect Obama poem, um, and most recently, I got an email, this was a couple of years ago now, um, I got an email out of the blue asking for permission to put it as the epigraph of a novel that was appearing from, uh, you know, Faber in England and Farrar Strauss in America. A, a first, actually a first book of short stories by a young Zimbabwean woman, writer. And uh, they had had trouble finding me because it had just been given her by somebody in a letter, she didn't have the book. And, and so asking permission, and I said, well, yes, of course. And, and then I said, um, could I have her email? So I emailed Patina Gappa and asked her, you know, how'd you come by this and why did you happen to pick it? And she said, oh, because it perfectly embodies the spirit of the people of Zimbabwe. Um, optimism. More and more I have come to admire resilience. Not the simple resistance of a pillow whose foam returns over and over to the same shape, but the sinuous tenacity of a tree. Finding the light newly blocked on one side, it turns in another. A blind intelligence, true. But out of such persistence arose turtles, rivers, mitochondria, figs. All this resinous unretractable earth. And you know, I don't believe in stupid optimism. I don't think we should just lay back and say, oh, don't worry, the, the microbes will save us. Um, but the fact is, we can't save things without the microbes. Um, so I just like to think maybe with a little help from the billions, we will get through the coming decades and their crisis. Okay, so now moving to um, this new book will be out at the very end of the summer, and I'm, I'm not used to having it even in this bound, bound pages form. Uh, so, so th this poem is about a little epiphany that I had with the cottage cheese container. Perishable, it said. Perishable, it said on the plastic container, and below, in different ink, the date to be used by, the last teaspoon consumed. I found myself looking, now at the back of each hand, now inside the knees, now turning over each foot to look at the sole. Then at the leaves of the young tomato plants, then at the arguing jays. Under the wooden table and lifted stones, looking. Coffee cups, olives, cheeses, hunger, sorrow, fears. These two would certainly vanish without knowing when. How suddenly then the strange happiness took me, like a man with strong hands and strong mouth, inside that hour with its perishing perfumes and clashings. Yeah, quite quite an unusual response. Oh, yippee! I'm gonna die. <laughs> it just seemed so wonderful. I'm going to die, and I don't know when. Be still, my heart. <laughs> um, 
critique of pure reason. And you have to listen really carefully to the first two lines, okay? Because they are the quote uh, from, from Kant's critique of pure reason, although he's actually quoting somebody else in them. Like one man milking a billy goat, another holding a sieve beneath it, Kant wrote, quoting an unnamed ancient. It takes a moment to notice the sieve doesn't matter. In her 90s, a woman begins to sleepwalk. One morning finding pudding and a washed pot, another the opened drawers of her late husband's dresser. After a while, anything becomes familiar. Though the Yiddish jokes of Auschwitz stumbled and failed outside the barbed wire. Perimeter is not meaning, but it changes meaning as wit increases distance and compassion erodes it. Let reason flow like water around a stone. The stone remains. A dog catching a tennis ball lobbed into darkness holds her breath silent to keep the descent in her ears. The goat stands patient for two millennia, watching without judgment from behind his strange eyes. So I rather implausibly, a couple of years ago, got to uh, say a poem uh, on stage at Carnegie Hall with a full symphony orchestra. Uh, it was part of the piece, and they were having the poets uh, represent our, our own poems. Uh, and, you know, when they do new music at Carnegie Hall by, by relatively unknown people, they always pair it with something really famous. So the second piece on the program was Mahler's Fifth. And uh, this was written after I came home, and all of that was still swirling around in me. I also discovered it was published in The New Yorker, and I discovered that an enormous number of people have a relationship to the French horn. I never would have guessed until the emails started coming in, my nephew plays the French horn. Um, so anyhow, French horn. For a few days only, the plum tree outside the window shoulders perfection. No matter the plums will be small, eaten only by squirrels and jays. I feast on the one thing, they on another, the shoaling bees on a third. What in this unpleated world isn't someone's seduction? The boy playing his intricate horn in Mahler's fifth, in the gaps between playing, turns it and turns it, dismantles a section, shakes from it the condensation of human passage. He is perhaps 20. Later he takes his four bows, his face deepening red, while a girl holds a viola's spruce wood and maple in one half-opened hand and looks at him hard. Let others clap. These two, their ears still ringing, hear nothing. Not the shouts of bravo, bravo, not the tympanic clamor inside their bodies. As the plums blossoms do not hear the bee, nor taste themselves turned into storable honey by that sumptuous disturbance.
first light etching cirrus. And cirrus, of course, are the wispy high clouds. 10 to the 25th molecules are enough to call wood thrush or apple. A hummingbird, fewer. A wristwatch, 10 to the 24th. An alphabet's molecules, tasting of honey, iron, and salt, cannot be counted. As some strings, untouched, sound when a near one is speaking. So it was when love slipped inside us. It looked out face to face in every direction. Then it was inside the tree, the rock, the cloud. The decision. There is a moment before a shape hardens, a color sets, before the fixative or heat of kiln. The letter might still be taken from the mailbox, the hand held back by the elbow, the word kept between the larynx pulse and the amplifying drumskin of the room's air. The thorax of an ant is not as narrow. The green coat on old copper weighs more. Yet something slips through it, looks around, sets out in the new direction for other lands. Not into exile, not into hope, simply changed. As a sandy track rut changes when called a silk road, it cannot be after turned back from. So I found myself uh, in 2007, I was in Istanbul. In 2009, I was in uh, Xi'an, the current name for the ancient capital of China, which us poetry types all know as Chang'an, but it's Xi'an now. Um, and I was also in Japan in 2009. But one thing which really struck me was uh, I was on both ends of the Silk Road. Uh, when you're in Xi'an and you're in Istanbul, and you go to the Islamic night market in China and you see the bazaars in Istanbul, you find the same puppets, the shadow puppets. And it was this amazing physicalization of history to see this and go, oh, that's the Silk Road. I get it. Um, so anyhow, I do a, um, a custom which I get from... Uh, Japanese Zen and Japanese culture. I don't know if they do this in China or not, uh, but the way I celebrate New Year's Eve is by an incredibly maniacal house cleaning. So I spend the whole day, you know, if this were my house, I'd be getting a ladder and doing the top of the fan blades to dust. You know, all the things you would never think of touching the rest of the year, plus all the things you do. So, so this poem comes out of... Um, out of uh, that activity. Washing doorknobs. The glass doorknobs turn no differently, but every December I polish them with vinegar water and cotton. Another year ends. This one I ate Kyoto pickles and touched in Xi'an a stone turtle's face, cold as stone as turtle. I could not read the fortune carved into its shell, 
or hear what it had raised its head to listen for such a long time. Around it, the madness of empires continued, an unbitted horse that runs for a thousand miles between grazing. Around us, the madness of empires continues. How happy we are, how unhappy we are, doesn't matter. The stone turtle listens, the famished horse runs. Washing doorknobs, one year enters another. Vinegar and Oil Wrong solitude vinegars the soul. Right solitude oils it. How fragile we are between the few good moments. Coming and going unfinished, puzzled by fate, like the half-carved relief of a fallen donkey above a church door in Finland. I know my readings are kind of grim. Um, way down in the list, there are a couple of poems which are actually a little lighter. Um, but first, we have to go through Alzheimer's. Sorry. Um, uh, you know, uh, so many people I know are dealing with things like this, either their parents or their grandparents or a friend. Um, and a wonderful poet, uh, Leonard Nathan, who was um, just absolutely terrific and, and taught in Berkeley in their rhetoric department for decades. Um, when he, 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 he told me long before I would have noticed anything that he had an early Alzheimer's diagnosis. And um, very late in the process, I went to see him when he had finally uh, was moved into a place where they could take better care of him than, than his wife could. And uh, he was more eloquent in his condition than I sometimes think I will ever be. Um, so so uh, basically the quote that's the last line led to uh, my feeling I had to give it a home in a poem. Alzheimer's. When a fine old carpet is eaten by mice, the colors and patterns of what's left behind do not change. As bedrock tilted stays bedrock, its purple and red striations unbroken. Unstrippable birthright grandeur. How are you, I asked, not knowing what to expect. Contrary to Keatsian joy, he replied. I mean, I don't say something that great on a good day. Contrary to Keatsian joy. Oh, so, so wonderful. Um, so I thought I'd give you a rain poem in honor of all the rain we've been having. One of the themes that uh, has a slight run in this book, not particularly played up, is, well, a theme which is very played up and runs throughout the whole book is simply being a person of a certain age at, at a certain cusp of, of a period of life. Um, but but uh, there's a number of poems about the pleasures of late love. Um, so, so this one is one. Now I've led you to believe you're going to get something erotic and wonderful like Anisphere, and you're not. Um, sorry. Two rains. The dog came in and shook off water in every direction. 
a chaotic rainstorm, walking on four big paws. The outside rain fell straight in parallel lines from a child's drawing. Windless, blunt, and cold, that orderly rain, like a fate uninterrupted by late love. So I'm going to skip a bunch, because it's hot, and it's a holiday. So you're not going to hear my poem of praise to the lichens, which I discovered when I was in residence in uh, an Oregon old-growth forest, the one where all the early research was done that is why we still have old-growth forests and why they weren't cut down was because of the people working in the H.J. Andrews experimental forest in the western Cascades of Oregon and, and what they decided to look for and what they found. Um, and, and one thing I learned was everybody had thought that the nitrogen in the soil in those places was from the salmon runs. It's not. It's from the lichens. It's from those tiny little lichens and the rainfall of them from the canopy to the ground. They're, they're the nitrogen fixers in the system. Okay, let's see. So you don't get the poem, but you get the cool fact. Um, the Dark Hour. The dark hour came in the night and purred by my ear. Outside, in rain, the plush of the mosses stood higher. Hour without end, without measure. It opens the window and calls its own name in. Green striped melons. They lie under stars in a field. They lie under rain in a field, under sun. Some people are like this as well, like a painting hidden beneath another painting, an unexpected weight, the sign of their ripeness. So I write um, often very short poems, and some of them are so short that I, I run them together in the book under, under the title of Some Number of Pebbles. So the last book had 17 pebbles, this book has 15 pebbles. But each of them really is an independent poem. I just thought it was rude to the trees to have that many pages with that little ink on it. Um, so I'll just read you a few of these. Like moonlight seen in a well. Like moonlight seen in a well, the one who sees it blocks it. Mountain and mouse both move, one only more slowly. The familiar stairs. How confidently the blind descend familiar stairs. Only those with something to lose grow timid at darkfall. A history. Someone first thought it. An ox, gelded, tamed, harnessed to plow. Then someone realized the wooden yoke could hold two. After that, mere power of multiplication, railroads, airplanes, 
factory ships canning salmon. Memorial. When hearing went, you spoke more, a kindness. Now I must. Night and day. Who am I is the question of owls. Crow says, get up. Um, Sonoma Fire, I live in Marin County. Sonoma is the next county over. And um, this came from the summer when most of California was burning. Sonoma Fire. Large moon, the deep orange of embers, also the scent. The griefs of others, beautiful at a distance. And the last of these really short ones, opening the hands between here and here. On the dark road, only the weight of the rope, yet the horse is there. So this next one's a little peculiar, um, but it's true. The, the, the refrigerator in the place where I was staying was running um, uncontrollably cold, um, but I had been given a fresh egg and I was determined to eat it. The egg had frozen an accident. I thought of my life. The egg had frozen an accident. I thought of my life. I heated the butter anyhow. The shell peeled easily. Inside it looked both translucent and boiled. I moved it around in the pan. It melted. The white first clearing to transparent liquid, then turning solid and bright again like good laundry. The yolk kept its yolk shape. Not fried, not scrambled. In the end it was cooked. With pepper and salt, I ate it. My life that resembled it, ate it. It tasted like any other wrecked thing, eggish and tender, a banquet. So this comes from one of those days that was really, really bad. Um, we all have them and you're feeling terribly sorry for yourself, and the only thing you can do is be very chipper about it. Three-legged blues. Always you were given one too many, one too few. What almost happens doesn't. What might be lost, you'll lose. The crows will eat your garden. Weeds will get what's left. Your cats will be three-legged. Your houses mice, be blessed. One friend will take your husband, another wear your dress. No, it isn't what you wanted, it isn't what you choose. Your floors have always slanted, your roof has paid its dues. Life delivered you a present, a too small pair of shoes. What almost happened won't now, what can be lost, you'll lose. <laughs> so... Just a few more. A day is vast. A day is vast until noon. 
then it's over. Yesterday's pond water braided still wet in my hair. I don't know what time is. You can't ever find it, but you can lose it. So, three more. This one, I've never written anything quite like it. Uh, I think it's the closest I'll ever come to an Irish ballad, although it's not an Irish ballad. Um, and again, it's kind of in celebration of uh, the weather we've been having here the last few days. I ran out naked in the sun. I ran out naked in the sun. And who could blame me? Who could blame? The day was warm. I ran out naked in the rain. And who could blame me? Who could blame? The storm. I leaned toward sixty that day almost done. It thundered then. I wanted more. I shouted, more. And who could blame me? Who could blame? Had been before could blame me that I wanted more. Do you want to hear the villanelle? No. <laughs> They're all going to say, no, Jane, no, don't. Yes. Well, you're going to hear the villanelle, sorry. OK. <laughs> the villanelle is the second to the last poem. And for those of you who might come from other fields and don't know, a villanelle is a form uh, with some rhyme and some repetition in a particular pattern. And a strict villanelle, you would be repeating the entire two lines that come back in alternation. But this is a slightly loose villanelle, so I'm only repeating the last words, um, not necessarily the full lines. Um, and that's all you need to know about villanelles. A hand is shaped for what it holds or makes. A hand is shaped for what it holds or makes. Time takes what's handed to it then. Warm bread, a stone, a child whose fingers touch the page to keep her place. Beloved, grown old separately, your face shows me the changes on my own. I see the histories it holds, the argument it makes against the thresh of trees, the racing clouds, the race of birds and sky birds always lose. The lines have ranged, but not the cheek's strong bone. My fingers touching there recall that place. Once we were one. Then what time did and hands erased us from the future we had owned. For some, the future holds what hands release, not make. We made a bridge. We walked it, laced night's sounds with passion. Owl's penny whistles after took our place. Wasps leave their nest. Wind takes the papery case. Our wooden house, less easily undone, now houses others. A life is shaped by what it holds or makes. 
I make these words for what they can't replace. And the last poem, any of you who have a garden and live in deer country will know how this goes. The supple deer. The quiet opening between fence strands, perhaps 18 inches. Antlers to hind hooves four feet off the ground, the deer poured through. No tuft of the coarse white belly hair left behind. I don't know how a stag turns into a stream, an arc of water. I have never felt such accurate envy. Not of the deer. To be that porous. To have such largeness pass through me. Thank you. So I've been noticing the, the question and answer part for uh, the, the visual artists. The questions are just so remarkable to me because you see these astonishing bodies of work and then the questions come up and it's, do you use rivets? Um, you know, uh, do you size your paper? <laughs> so, so does anybody want to ask me if I use commas? Or <laughs> If there's anything you want to ask, this is your last chance. <laughs> you really want to hear the Oregon poem? The microphone says I'm done. <laughs> I'd have to beat it up. Well, I could close with the Oregon poem. Um, is that enough? One more poem and we'll call it a night. Anybody else have a burning question? No, but Gary's going to come beat up the microphone for me again. Good, thank you. Does that work? Wow, okay. it really behaves when you talk to it. <laughs> so the Oregon poem, um, it ran in the Atlantic, but it has a really long title, and the poetry editor said that the designers were going to yell at him, and could we do an abbreviated title? So in the Atlantic, it was merely called For the Lichens, but in the book, it's called for the Lobaria, Usnia, Witch's Hair, Map Lichen, Beard Lichen, Ground Lichen, Shield Lichen. Back then, back, back, Gary, back, back. <laughs> I'm learning to dominate, but it doesn't believe me. It only believes Gary. Back then, okay. Back then, what did I know? the names of subway lines, buses, how long it took to walk 20 blocks, uptown and downtown, not north, not south, not you. When I saw you later, seaweed reefed in the air, you were gray-green, incomprehensible, old. What you clung to, hung from, old. Trees looking half dead, stones 
Marriage of fungi and algae, chemists of air, changers of nitrogen unusable into nitrogen usable. Like those nameless ones who kept painting. <laughs> this is not the way to read a poem. Like those nameless ones who kept painting, shaping, engraving, unseen, unread, unremembered, not caring if they were no good, if they were past it. Rock walls, water cans, earth scale, mouse ears, dust, ash of the woods, transformers unvalued, uncounted, cell by cell, word by word, making a world they could live in. Yeah.